Hello and welcome to another edition of uh, the Government Department's Hot Seat. My name is Justin Guest, a doctoral student here in the Government Department. With us today is Simon Hicks, Professor of European and Comparative Politics. And without any further ado, Professor Hicks, welcome. French President Nicolas Sarkozy recently suggested that the EU presidency would be a smart move for Prime Minister or former Prime Minister Tony Blair. Now, of course, conventional diplomacy necessitates that no one actually campaign for such a position. However, it should open by the summer of 2009. Is this a smart move for Mr. Blair? And more importantly, would this be a smart move for the EU? The problem with the EU presidency is it's not really a presidency. Uh, the new presidency of the European Council, which is basically chair of the heads of government, would basically be a part-time job for somebody who would just chair the quarterly meetings of the heads of government. The real power in the EU is the presidency of the European Commission. So it's relatively easy for Sarkozy to say, oh, the, EU, the chair of the EU Council, so-called EU presidency, is a good thing for Tony Blair. Well, if Tony Blair wants to keep himself busy, he'd probably be better off doing other things because this is basically a part-time job. But if he really wants just a part-time job, then schmoozing with the heads of government, then it's probably a good thing for him. Um, it's the real power, meaning the, the ability to dominate the legislative process in the EU, to initiate legislation, to pick the commissioners, to really influence policymaking, is really still the European Commission president. I mean, that's the, that's the office where there is starting to be um, competition to get it, um, it looks like there might be rival candidates on the table by the summer of 2009. What we might see is a sort of compromise deal where um, whoever, which party, let's say a big state uh, on the left gets the commission presidency, when then, then they may try to have to find a small, somebody from a small state from the right to be the EU council presidency. That's all the other way around. So, so I think, you know, who, whoever becomes the president of the council will essentially be a sort of second part of a package deal on the second rung, whereas the primary deal will still be the person who's going to be the commission president. Well, Blair or no Blair, the new EU is being run by a staunch set of free marketers in Angela Merkel, Nicolas Sarkozy and Gordon Brown. But what changes can be expected in the future, and how long might those changes take? Well, the EU has actually been run by free marketers for quite a long time. I mean, you know, you can say it goes back to the Treaty of Rome. Um, you know, what was locked in in the Treaty of Rome was a relatively free market model for a common market. And then in the Single European Act, what they locked in was the removal of, of national regulations on the free movement of goods, services, capital and labour. So, you know, it was a free market model. And then recently what we've seen is a centre-right majority amongst the governments, in the European Parliament and in the Commission. So we've seen a sort of right-wing majority inside the institutions since 2004, um, and it wasn't surprising that it was the French left who really were the most critical of the new constitution. But instead of blaming just the centre-right majority that happens to be there in the institutions right now, they blame the EU as a whole. They see the whole thing as a sort of free market project. Um, so, you know, I'm sceptical that a shift to, let's say, you know, Brown, Sarkozy and Merkel will mean that the EU will now start to be able to do things. Because um, you could have said that Barroso came to power as Commission President in, um, in 2004 with a mandate to push forward labour market reform, to push forward reform of takeovers, to push forward uh, financial services reform. And he, he had set forth a sort of work programme that would do this and immediately came up against the buffers of of the sort of centre-left who said, no, we don't want this, we, 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 which we, we're not in favour of, of these more radical things, because it, they do lead to huge uh, conflicts back home, and that's what they fear. Now, very little may happen at all if a new EU constitution, which is purportedly designed to streamline the bureaucracy and promote a common foreign policy between the member states, 
uh, is not approved across Europe. Uh, but with Mr. Brown dragging his feet on conservative calls for a referendum, can he and will he get by without one? And uh, if so, what are the implications? I think Brown, there's a lot of pressure on Brown um, not to have a referendum. I think he's not going to have a referendum. I think there's two reasons for that. I think firstly, um, I think he can make the case that the reform treaty is not the same as the Constitution. Um, there, is, there was actually very little in, substantively in the Constitution. In fact, it was probably the least consequential treaty the EU's ever signed. It was just called the Constitution and there was a bunch of big symbolic things in it. Once you strip away the big symbolic things, there really is very little left. So even if you say substantively it's the same as the Constitution without the symbolism, well, the Constitution really wasn't very much without the symbols. It was the symbolism that was really what was important for needing a vote a sort of legitimate mandate. So once you strip the symbols away, there's not much left. So he can pretty much make that case. It's very hard to make the alternative case. This is a major shift towards European integration. You know, but the interesting thing is the Conservatives um, now are getting themselves in a bit of a bind uh, on an argument about whether they will then promise a referendum if they win the next election, even if the Constitution or the Reform Treaty has been ratified and then implemented. Um, what I think will probably happen is I think there will, there will be public pressure in Britain for a referendum of some kind. I reckon we will see if the Conservatives win the next election, which they might not, but if they do, or even if there's a hung parliament with the Liberals holding the balance of power, we may see a referendum in the next term on the t just generally on British membership of the EU. Um, Britain, even under this Labour government, has really had a sort of semi-detached status with Europe and has encouraged a sort of attitude in Britain of a semi-detached status. And, you know, just the number of British applicants to places at the College of Europe, the number of British applicants to places in, of jobs in the, in, in the Commission, um, the attendance of senior ministers at, 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 or the low attendance of senior ministers at ministerial meetings. Britain is really just not playing along the way the other member states are. They really don't see themselves as part of the EU. And Gordon Brown, in the speech this week, his major foreign policy speech, really sort of indicated that for him the EU is just another international organisation like the G7 or NATO or the UN, and he sort of puts it in the same boat. And you know, I don't think there's another member state in the EU that has that attitude. Every other member state, all 26 of them, including Ireland, including Denmark, including Sweden, see the EU as something fundamentally different. They see it as a, as a, as a new multi-level polity in which they live, in which they do daily politics. I think in Britain, the establishment and the public see it as something fundamentally different, and I think we will see a referendum in the coming years. Well, the Tories are demanding this referendum, and the issue obviously causes Brown a great deal of discomfort. Um, I mean, it's, politically, it's like a malfunctioning soda machine, you know, with drinks being dispensed freely. Um, but do we know that the conservatives actually, th what they actually think about this constitution? Does anyone know that if they're in power, they wouldn't just approve the treaty anyway after all the years of consultation and negotiation that's gone into it? Well, I mean, it's relatively cheap for you to promise a referendum and then have a referendum and then go and negotiate, renegotiate the terms of British entry. Because, you know, if you have a referendum in Britain that says, a sort of, we're going to have a consultative referendum on Europe where we're going to ask the British people, would you like us to renegotiate the terms of British entry? It's a really relatively easy question to ask, relatively easy question to win, and gives you a very strong mandate to go off to Brussels and thump your chest and say, we want our money back. You know, we want to keep the British rebate, we want to get rid of the cap, we want to be stripped out of a whole bunch of other policy areas, we basically want like a semi-detached status. So, you know, I think there's relatively low costs for them promising something like that right now. Well, looking a bit more broadly, Prime Minister Brown has said that he will boycott the December 8th and 9th Summit of European and African Heads of State in Lisbon 
if Zimbabwean President uh, Robert Mugabe is in attendance. Uh, but with the African Union now rallying behind the dictator um, in Ghana's statement this week, what is Mr. Brown accomplishing here? And uh, alternatively, what is the EU accomplishing by inviting Mr. Mugabe? This is a tricky thing. The EU has tried trying to develop relations with other regional organizations in the world and foster regional integration elsewhere in the world. So the EU has bent over backwards for organizations like the African Union. So, you know, the EU fund, gives a lot of funds to these things and gives them a legitimacy and is trying to strengthen these organizations to promote sort of regional economic and regional political integration in other parts of the world. So, you know, the EU says that, yeah, Zimbabwe, we don't like him, but ultimately, you know, the African Union is the, business, is the organization we're doing business with, and this is an internal question for them. Brown, on the other hand, is thinking, well, you know, he's come out very strongly against what, Zim what Mugabe is doing. There's traditional political and economic interests of Britain and Zimbabwe that have been very threatened by Mugabe. And so, you know, and I, my guess right now will be that Brown's not going to that summit. And Brown will then, it's a win-win for both sides, and the EU can say, well, Brown's just being Brown, but we're going to carry on anyway and have the summit. And Brown can easily say, well, I'm not going to go to the summit. This just shows you again that the EU is a bit in cloud cuckoo land. And it's relatively cheap for him to say that kind of thing. Well, thank you very much, Professor Hicks. You are off the hot seat. Please join us again next month where we'll uh, discuss another topic.